Hi, Jeremy here from Eureka Podcast. I have a few things I'd like to clear up, a small list, actually. I, one, I do not listen to I Doubt It with Dollamore. Uh, number two, I have never listened to I Doubt It with Dollamore. Number three, I'm really sick and tired of these allegations from people saying I listen to I Doubt It with Dollamore. And four, this is the final one. Listen clearly. I certainly do not donate to the Patreon page monthly for I Doubt It with Dollamore. That would be funding the competition. What am I, a moron? The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. All right, everybody. Welcome to the show. Thank you, as always, for joining us. Episode 298. Hashtag third episode of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, sitting across from me. Way over there on the other side of our long studio table. Kind of giddy today. Kind of excited today. My lovely co-host, Brittany Page. Am I giddy and excited? I'm not giddy and excited, but we, we had a conversation earlier today. Maybe I should have prepped this before. Uh-huh. But we had a conversation today with you said you were you were happy that finally someone I'm trying to lead you to it. Listens to the show because they found the show from you. Ah, <laughs> yeah. Well, on our on our Patreon only Google Hangout calls once a month, we ask new faces that we haven't seen before. Uh, we just ask them the first time they're new on the call, not every time they're right. on the call. The t- the two questions we always ask. Yeah, how they found the show, and then what keeps them around. And most of the time, people say they found the show because they watched one of your videos, Tommy Laren, or whatever it might be on YouTube. And for the first time, someone said, Jennifer, that she saw me debating someone on a Fox News article (laughs) link on Facebook. That... There's probably more than just Jennifer. <laughs> and she saw my comments and then went to my profile and added me and the rest is history. But she found me because I debate on the internet. So yeah. finally, finally, it's doing some good. <laughs> right? There's probably many people who have been led to the show via, I don't know if you have in your profile that you're the host of the show. I do. Yeah, so do I. So someone, who's that fucking guy? And then they look and oh, yeah. You know, yeah, I I don't know, but it's it's always you, right? It's always the videos, the YouTube videos, right? Right. It's why do we even ask anymore? Because it's just always the videos, right? But this is why we ask. Well, not in the beginning, because I've only been doing the videos like in earnest for mm, maybe a year, uh-huh. like consistently. Yeah. But before that, it was I used to look you up on you know, skeptical um, podcast lists, yeah. or. Ryan Bell was on the show right. because of guests we would have on. Yeah, it used to be that. Yeah. But now it's not. Now it's Facebook arguing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which I am I'm I'm doing better with resisting. I really am. Yeah, you know, I listen, I, I don't denigrate your discussions on Facebook because I do think it has let's put it this way. I see people out there on Twitter who get into these fucking back and forth battles 
with people who have like 40 followers on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, what are you doing wasting your time? Yeah. You're not... No one's seeing that side's that guy's side of the argument. Well, Twitter's a horrible place to argue anyway. Yeah, for sure. 140 characters at a time. Yeah. But but Facebook is is different because there's lots of people who have eyes on the discussion that's taking place. Yeah. And you have the ability to sway outsiders who aren't liking comments who you don't even know are there. They're just lurkers. Mm-hmm. And we've heard that time and time again. So I mean, I tease you because that's what I do. Yeah. That's part of my job. Uh-huh. I would be derelict in my duty if I didn't hassle you as much as I can. Yeah. And that goes for all of you fuckers out there. Well, and we've, re- <laughs> we've received a lot of emails because this is a, a problem for a lot of people, right? Is do I engage people? Or not. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I have a new rule. Which is oh a new rule? Yeah, if someone cannot spell correctly or uses incorrect grammar, I don't engage them. Like on the reg, not if they slip up and no, not if it's a minor error. But if but you if, can tell if it's I seen this, I seen that. Yeah, that's not somebody you're yeah, gonna engage. Yeah, yeah, that's a good rule because it's it's not gonna go anywhere, and it's best to bow out. Yeah. <laughs> in the beginning. Because it's going to be three or four comments deep, and then all of a sudden, Infowars.com links are going to get brought out. Yeah. 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 Or mm. they're going to start communicating by meme. Yes. Which is a fucking pet peeve of yours and mine. Yes. Yes. I fucking hate that. Well, and that's why I think having... Use your words. Don't use somebody else's clever little thought that they put into a meme. And that's why having these discussions is difficult on Twitter, because... I know when I engage, I am genuinely trying to understand where the person's coming from. and Not so much for me all the time. And trying to convince them, right, with, yeah, yeah. of my using evidence. And that is really hard to do in 140 characters. So I don't know how anyone can do that. I mean, you're going to have to create like a 10-tweet thread. Those giant mega, t- mega threads. Yeah, in like order to Seth get your Abramson point across. Yeah, yeah, and that's, <laughs> come on now. Yeah. Well, right on. Well, we, we do have some follow-up that we'll get to, but we, we have some some voicemails that don't abide by our th- new one-and-a-half to two-minute length guideline. So I'm going to have to... We're going we're gonna to give a little bit of uh, leeway, a little leniency as we adopt this, that over time people will start abiding by it. But the content here is just... It's too good... To not address. So let's go to Andrew first. Hey, Jesse. Hey, Brittany. This is Andrew from New Orleans, Louisiana, lifelong resident. I've been uh, enjoying your show for about a year now. And I am a newly Patreon contributor. Thank you, sir. And I want to talk about these Confederate monuments that are coming down Uh, especially in my city. Now I get it. There are a lot of people out there who are feel that they just need to come down and we need to like kind of put it in the museum in history. I don't look at it so much that way. I want those monuments to stay up. And what I really would love to have because I'm a black man and I understand how people feel about this, but I would love for every class field trip 
uh, one point in the school year to be to these monuments and to show these little black boys and girls about this man was a slave master and he sought to uh, keep the ongoing legacy of enslaving your great, 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 great grandparents. And we should never forget that. On top of that, I would love to actually see us as a black community erect more monuments and statues of our own for our own heroes. But I think the root cause of this is um, when people tell me about the Civil War and it was somehow like it wasn't about slavery. I kind of agree, but for not the reason that you think. What I think is that throughout America's history, they've had a long battle with this sort of vulture capitalism. And it just so happens that for a hundred and uh, some odd years, 200 years or something like that, um, they were able to just take advantage of exploiting a group of people. Um, it was the Africans for 200 years and and after they couldn't really have that type of control on the Africans, then they moved to the Chinese um, and the Irish and you know now it's just anybody who pretty much you know is poor <laughs> so you know i think there's just on this is ongoing legacy of vulture capitalism that we need to address before we even think about taking these monuments down um it's just my little two cents love the show and Brittany, yes, you are the best part. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Bye. Well, listen, um, there's a lot there's a lot to unpack. Let's address first the one, thank you for both the voicemail and the financial support through pay, for, for PayPal or Patreon. We yes. really appreciate it very awesome. much. Secondly, about the museum, I just I respectively I respectfully disagree, Andrew. I, I don't believe because by leaving these monuments up, they are it is a celebration of white supremacy, which isn't is not something to celebrate. It isn't something to to have in public space paid for by tax dollars. The, the upkeep of these statues is paid for by the general taxpayers. I would also because you said it's not something to celebrate, I would also say it's not a thing. What do you mean? White supremacy. Y- yes. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So All, everyone is equal, right? In our society. Yes. And for 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 sure, we shouldn't have fucking statues out there that have the talk about the white supremacy being the the law of the land, the mm-hmm. way that it is. Yeah. In the video that I just put out on YouTube, two different statues that I talked about. One being. In, in New Orleans, and then the other in Charlotte, North Carolina, they both talked about the championing of Anglo-Saxon civilization and white supremacy being the, the way it is. Yeah. And listen, I'm not saying destroy these monuments because we never want to destroy our history. But you definitely want to put it in a place where it can be researched and talked about, preserved, 
for our posterity's sake. So they can our our children and their children can go in and say, ah, yikes, this is the way it was. Yeah. The same reason why Auschwitz and these different concentration camps have been restored so they can be observed and gone through and, for lack of a better word, appreciated for what they stood for, what what happened there. Because, you know, it's a tired trope, but it's so it's so appropriate if if we lose sight of our history, it, it's very easy to fall back into the same kind of mistakes. Right, and and so if these statues are moved into a museum, right, then classes take uh, field trips to the Holocaust Museum, for yeah, example. Sure, it could be something like that, where let's go take a trip to this museum. And look at these statues that were once in a public place, right? With celebrating this. photos of where they used to be, right? That that's I think very appropriate. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to pay for that shit. I don't want to pay for the the hate and the celebration of traitors to our country who fought against the United States of America. I don't want to. I don't want to pay for monuments to them. So we just disagree on that, Andrew. And that's okay. And I, I understand your perspective. But I think the same thing could be achieved if they were in a museum or a historical context, mm-hmm. not out on public display with, you know, the haters celebrating. They won. It's still there. Eh, not for me. The other thing is, and I can't really speak to the, the vulture capitalism argument. I think that's just a power structure thing that we'll always probably fight against. It's the haves against the have-nots kind of a thing. But that argument that I hear all the time about how the Civil War was not about slavery is fucking laughable. Because in the context that it's used so often, it's that it was about states' rights. Well... The let's, if that's the case, let's talk about that. They were fighting for the state's rights to own human beings, for the citizens of South Carolina and Georgia, Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Texas, Arkansas, Tennessee, Kentucky, West Virginia, Virginia, North Carolina. They were, those states wanted to own. They wanted their citizens to have the, the, the right to own other human beings, to abuse other human beings, for slave masters to rape, serially rape their property. That was what the 10th Amendment, and that's what they're talking about with states' rights. It's the 10th Amendment, which is that any right that's not specifically granted to the federal government or specifically not granted to the state, it's the state's right to possess. That's the 10th Amendment of the Constitution. And it's been taken as far as Jim Crow laws. It's been taken as far, obviously, as slavery. But basic civil rights, human rights, trump states' rights. You don't get to violate the rights of someone in pursuit of some 10th Amendment argument. Right. That's not the way the fucking Constitution works. Anyway, thank you for the call. (laughs) Getting fired up. Uh, Well, 
it is. It, it gets me emotional. Yeah. Especially the slavery thing. And I, I thought when I made the video, I thought about putting screenshots in from 12 Years a Slave mm-hmm. and other movies that have documented um, or, or portrayed. I don't want to say documented, but portrayed what happened during right. slavery. And I chose not to because I didn't want to give the fucking ignorant ass, you know, what's he doing? You know, that's a movie, right? That's not real. Yeah. I didn't want to give him that power. So I didn't put those in. That makes sense. But go watch a fucking movie. Go watch 12 Years a Slave. Go watch Roots. Go watch some of these depictions of what took place and try not to be emotional. It's It, it kills me. It, 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 it's an embarrassment. I had a conversation with someone, and I won't say who they are. And he talked about, here, I'll whisper it to you. And this is a person who loves, is, is, is a Republican, is a conservative, is super hyper libertarian guy. Mm-hmm. And he said that he thinks it would be morally right to have stormed Monticello and, and murdered Thomas Jefferson in the execution of freeing his slaves. Hmm. And I agree. You can't, you, how can you disagree with that? Yeah. You don't get to own human beings. Yeah. You don't get to have sex with Sally Hemings. And listen, I have a lot of respect for, for Thomas Jefferson. He's a credit to our nation. A lot of stuff is the way it is because of Thomas Jefferson. But it doesn't take away from the monster he must have been to have sex with an unwilling individual. Well, she can't give consent when she's owned. She is his property. It's interesting how some people are able to turn a blind eye to some of these things, right? And I know that people care about this. I mean, they have to, right? But I wish that more people would speak in a way that is empathetic yeah. and compassionate. Yeah. Because this is important. And I've I've seen interviews with individuals dressed up in Confederate gear talking about how removing these statues is an insult to their ancestors who fought and they want to support their ancestors who fought and died. And that is weird to me. <laughs> um, but also you need to consider the, the other side though, which is they were fighting to own people. Right. They, they were and, bad people. And there are people here that had ancestors who were owned by your ancestors. Right. So, I mean, weighing that, uh, where does that come out? Listen, I know that we just erected a, a an African-American history museum in Washington, D.C., which I'm dying to get to. By the way, when I said weighing that, uh, where does that come out? We clearly know where it comes yeah, out. Yeah, of course. It's easy. <laughs> yeah. It was, okay. Yeah. I just want to clarify. But we need, and I don't know where the movement is, but we need a slavery monument memorializing the fucking horror that took place on this continent for hundreds of years. It just, it needs to be done. It is a a, a pockmark. A diseased section of our nation's history that we we just can't ignore. These men of honor who started our, our country 
listen, it wasn't like everyone just did it. Oh, just slavery. No, that's okay. We've known for hundreds and hundreds of years, you don't own slaves. And they did it anyway. Because it benefited them financially. Anyway, we could, the whole show could be about this. Yeah. Thank you, Andrew, for your call. Thank you, Andrew, for your support. We appreciate it very much. And uh, goddamn, I love your city, New Orleans. Oh, it's my dream vacation. Yeah, one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites. I, I spent 16 days over Mardi Gras one year when I was in the Marine Corps there. One of my buddies' grandma, she lived in Gretna, and we would take the ferry back and forth and just not not really sober very much. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it. Anyway, thanks a lot. Let's move on to the next call. Hey, guys, it's Dan from Oceanside. I just had an interesting discussion with my uh, evangelical parents, uh, specifically my mom, uh, about the Bill O'Reilly firing and, uh, and all the subsequent you know, tentacles that come off of that discussion. Um, mainly about how she didn't really care to know the things he's accused of doing and uh, how they obviously just paid off those women because it's cheaper than going to trial and how she thinks it's probably like, oh, he's just a person in a position of power and he's a conservative, so they're gonna come after him, et cetera, et cetera, and how it was only a business decision, which you might be right about that, that Fox News would cut him because the advertisers pulled their sponsorships. And um, I just wanna know what it is about evangelical women, and maybe Brittany from both, uh, you know, obviously a, a woman's perspective and uh, being in the psychology field, uh, I'd be really interested to hear Brittany's opinion on uh, why is it that evangelical women like need to be ruled by a man, uh, like a, in a Stockholm syndrome type way. It seems like to me, because my my upbringing was very much like the man is the center of the household. Uh, you know, I'll wear my hair the way my husband wants me to do. You know, just things that are just weird. Things that are just bizarre and like, so you're not a autonomous person. You kind of have to like run your decisions past basically a surrogate father who you're married to. It's real weird. I, I don't, I'm not into it. Um, and the older I get, the further I get from it, the more, and the longer I'm married to be that matter. I mean, we're coming up on 10 years and the, the longer I'm with in a relationship with my wife, the weirder that feels that she wouldn't have opinions over, you know, or, or facility over some of you know over her decisions in her life um anyways i was wondering if there if you've run across any studies of that because obviously the trump stuff my mom also said that that's just locker talk and uh locker room talk and boys being boys etc etc and how all these excuses made for that uh whereas as an outsider now like it's just completely unacceptable behavior but i was wondering if you've read any studies about why evangelical women you know like the majority of them put up with this BS. Uh, anyways, guys, love the show. I uh, understand if you don't want to talk about the subject anymore because you've been talking about it ad nauseum, but I do think it's really interesting, and it just shows kind of the microcosm of the greater uh, kind of misogyny of the of the right. Uh, not that there isn't, you know, we don't have problems with that in, in a lot of aspects of life, but it does seem like purpose-built into the... Uh, into conservatives, specifically religious uh, religious conservatives. So, anyways, guys, love the show. Uh, keep up the good work. So I did a <laughs> a cursory search. 
even that word is a little generous. Um, basically did not look for anything related to this. I tried a little bit, okay? And I didn't find anything. Because I think that what this comes down to is women are told to be like that. And right. they are around these authoritative religious texts. And the men yeah. are... In First Timothy, women are not to... Not I forbid women to have authority over men, keep their mouths shut, their heads covered. That's all over, even in the New Testament. Yeah, so women are instructed to be submissive, and men are instructive, instructed to be authoritative, and that's kind of the rules. That's right. Head of the household. Yeah, women keep the home, men go get the money, right? And, of course, there's religious people that are highly religious and attend religious services on a regular basis that do not follow this, right? So I think that Dan is talking about a, a specific subset, maybe a little bit more fundamentalist, sure. possibly. And I think it's a combination of being indoctrinated with that messaging and then also just partisanship. I mean, things that he was saying there were just simple partisanship. Yeah. You're, you're unwilling to accept the cons associated with your side because it's your side. Well, I would venture to say, and I don't think this would be a stretch, that Dan's mom vilified Bill Clinton. Justifiably so. Vilified Bill Clinton when that shit went down in the mid to late 90s. Mm -hmm. And here she is. Oh, that's just locker room talk. Yeah. Donald Trump saying what he says, indicating he that's what he does. This isn't it's not. Oh, I'd love to just grab a woman by the pussy because I'm famous. It's I just start kissing. I don't even wait. Grab you can you can do anything when you're famous. Grab him by the pussy. He's indicating what he's done in the past and what he does. Right. And we we saw this even with Mike Pence. Right. He expects his wife to be submissive. And they're in this they're in those roles. Yeah. So this is what happens when you follow a authoritative religious text that kind of lines these things out for you. Right? Yeah, sure. And the longer you're in it, the easier it is to fall into those roles, believe that that's what's right. And I may have talked about it before, but I remember having a Mormon neighbor when I was younger and her husband would choose her hair color. Yeah. And Ugh, pick weird. out pick out the the hair color on the box and bring it home from the grocery store and she would have to dye her hair that color cuz that's what color hair he wanted her to have that month. And he would pick out the clothes that she could wear every day, right? And if that makes her happy, okay, you know? Um if that makes women happy and and they feel good in those kinds of relationships, okay. You know, if they're not being hurt, Okay. <laughs> I understand it's frustrating I, for Dan. I guess. No, no, I no, for sure. But I I have a question though, and that would be about the boys will be boys. That's just locker room talk. My gut tells me Dan's dad doesn't talk like that. He doesn't talk about grabbing women by their pussies. Mm -hmm. He doesn't talk about just kissing women. Donald Trump was married at the time. He doesn't talk about just kissing women. He doesn't even wait. Dan's dad. So it's not just locker room talk. That's rapist talk. That's sexual assault talk. Mm -hmm. I've Listen, I've not always been a choir boy. 
And I don't, I can't recall ever having a conversation with anyone like that. I just don't. So, and again, I think that comes down to political partisanship where you are so incapable of admitting the flaws for your side. Yeah. Well, look, because that creates a vulnerability for you personally. It very much baffles me this entire election because people have traded in their spirituality and their religiosity for the red, white, and blue elephant. They've traded in the cross for the GOP. And that's what happened. That's, look, I don't mean to be offensive about it, but Dan's parents have, they've betrayed their faith and have adopted the GOP as their new religion. And that's that's a bummer. So there's many examples of that that polarization that I'm talking about, but a good one is what happened with Russia. And I think it was Pew Research Center. I, I'm not sure now, but they they asked people how they felt about either Putin or Russia, and Republicans felt very negatively about Russia. Like in June, and then in July... After Trump was talking so favorably, it shot way up, right? Is I'm, that not, the one? I'm not sure about the, the months or anything, but once Donald Trump was elected or whatever, once he came out and said what he said about Russia, Republicans felt much more positively about Russia and Vladimir Putin following that. Yeah, so, it would have been right around the time he was nominated. So people get their talking points from the politician that they admire, that's on their team, that's in their in-group. And they get their talking points from the news media that is a part of their in-group. And sure, yeah. they run with that. And if they admit flaws in that thinking, then it's almost like a vulnerability. Like they're admitting a flaw with themselves because they have to admit that they were wrong, that they were duped, that they were stupid, right? All of these things. It's not positive. Right. That all speak negatively to their... Maybe even their character, they feel. Well, that's yeah, and that's what they feel. They feel that their opinion is so heavily tied to who they are as a person. Right. It's like if you criticize someone's opinion and they feel that you're attacking them personally, like you're calling them a piece of shit. Like earlier with, with Andrew. We disagree, but I, don't, I, I hope he doesn't feel like I think he's a piece of shit because we don't hold the same opinion about it. Yeah. And I think a lot of times that's what happens. If you disagree with someone's opinion, they feel like they personally are being attacked. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's good. The in-group stuff is super, I think, pretty on point. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for the call, Dan. And, and Andrew, we appreciate it very much. Hey, listen, if you'd like to, call the show, 657-464-7609, or you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com between one and a half and two minutes is the preferred length we appreciate it very much let's do a little follow-up before we move on miss Brittany page united airlines a couple things in the news one they settled with the doctor who had his teeth ostensibly knocked out and his nose broken and sent to the hospital with a concussion they have settled out of court, I'm assuming, to avoid any more publicity about this matter. And the amount has not been disclosed. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And then the other thing is, they just announced 
that they're updating their customer service policy on paper and that they've got, a, I think, a 10-point list of things they're going to do that could be probably just kind of generalized into one specific point. So they're going to limit the use of law enforcement to safety and security issues only. Hmm. Not require customers seated on the plane to give up their seat involuntarily unless safety or security is at risk. Mm-hmm. Increase customer compensation incentives for voluntarily denied boarding up to $10,000. Up to $10,000. Mm-hmm. Establish a customer solutions team to provide agents with creative solutions, such as using nearby airports, other airlines, or ground transportation to get customers to their final destination. Ensure crews are booked onto a flight at least 60 minutes prior to departure. Provide employees with additional annual training. (laughs) Create an automated system for soliciting volunteers to change travel plans. Reduce the amount of overbooking. Hmm. Empower employees to resolve customer service issues in the moment. Why the fuck isn't that already the case? That could go along with training, right? Eliminate the red tape on permanently lost bags by adopting a no questions asked policy on lost luggage. And I think all of these could just be kind of summed up into don't beat the fuck out of your your customers. Don't knock the teeth out of your paying customers heads. Don't break the noses out of people who are dissatisfied with their experience on your airline. If you were to do that. A lot of this wouldn't be necessary. Yeah. You certainly wouldn't be settling out of court for what is likely a seven-figure situation. So when they said empower employees to resolve customer service issues in the moment, this actually means that they're going to have a company-issued iPhone from which they will be able to immediately provide compensation to a passenger that is giving up their seat. Hmm. Like a transfer of money? I, I guess. They're just going to have a fucking a slush fund bank account that you can be trans... That's... All right. Well, well, we'll see. Yeah. Maybe I'll retract my prohibition of flying United if they get their shit together and quit beating the fuck out of the people who pay them to stay in business. Well, that would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes, Brittany. It would be very... Very nice. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash idoubtitwithdollamore. Genevieve. Genevieve. Marianne. Marianne. And Andres. Andres. That is awesome. We appreciate it, you guys. It is a beautiful thing. There have been several of you who have gone through and updated your pledges from the the amount that they were when it was a per episode thing to a monthly pledge, and that is great. However, there are only three days left in the month. So I think... Tonight or tomorrow, we're probably going to send an email out as a reminder. But please go in there and, and update your information. That would be fantastic. Huh? No good, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. Well, you were reading. You always read. You're a reader. Um, a little bit. 
I expect everyone to be entertained by this side of the table. Yeah. Even you. And oftentimes, you're not paying attention to any of the great shit I'm doing over here. No, I am paying attention. <laughs> that was just, that was on you at that at that moment. Now I'm coughing. You see what you do? Brittany Page. No good. Democracy facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So before we get into this, I want to talk about what Reuters is reporting right now, which is a quote coming out of Donald Trump about the conflict in North Korea. There is a chance that we could end up having a major, major conflict with North Korea. Absolutely. Wow. A major, major one. Fucking dumb guy McGee, Donald Trump, dumb guy extraordinaire, a major, major conflict. So he went on to say, we'd love to solve things diplomatically, but it's very difficult. Yeah. Welcome to the presidency of the United States. Fucking idiot. Listen, you, you, you don't get to use casual throw-around language about conflict with another nuclear power when you're president of the United States. If you want to do that, go host a fucking podcast. So Trump was asked if he considers North Korean leader Kim Jong-un to be rational. Said he was operating from the assumption that he is rational. He noted that Kim had taken over the country at an early age. Quote, he's 27 years old. His father dies, took over a regime. So say what you want, but that's not easy, especially at that age. <laughs> so now President wow. Donald J. Trump is giving Kim Jong-un props. Oh, yeah. Look, look at it any way you want to. On his ability to... The kid's pretty solid. Starve and... Uh, keep his people uneducated and in the dark about the goings-on in the world. Right. That's great. With the rest of the planet. Yeah, and he, so he was asked to clarify this because... <laughs> of course he was. Obviously, what in the hell are you talking about? This sounds like you're <laughs> praising Kim Jong-un. And he said, quote, I'm not giving him credit or not giving him credit, whatever that means. I'm just saying that's a very hard thing to do as to whether or not he's rational. I have no opinion on it. I hope he's rational. Uh, God damn. And Trump was sipping a Coke at this time. Just mm. so you guys know. Well, you know, that's what he likes to do. Yeah. Sipping a Coke. Real healthy guy. So here's the thing with this North Korea deal. They just shipped up. They just shipped 100 senators, all of the senators. They got these charter buses and they drove like the one and a half or two miles down to the White House, whatever it is, all the senators to get briefed at the White House. Well, apparently it was a complete just just for show propaganda photo op for the White House. Here's a senator who was there not really happy about it. What was your takeaway from, from the, the briefing? And to what extent was there any new information shared with you and your colleagues that you didn't already know? Anderson, I seriously felt like I could have gotten all that information by reading a newspaper. Um, I did not see any new information coming out of that briefing at all. It, it felt more like a dog and pony show to me than anything else. You think, I mean, why, why do you think the White House would do that? 
Well, I don't know. Maybe it's, uh, the, I, I guess it has something to do with this 100 days in office, but uh, it's quite remarkable that they uh, bust 100 senators over there. And then the very same team that briefed us came back with us to the Capitol to brief uh, the uh, 400 plus members of Congress uh, in the House of Representatives back here at the Capitol. And I talked to some of my former colleagues in the House and they said there wasn't anything new in their briefing either. Was there a reason it needed to be at the White House? I mean, is there not a room big enough at the Senate? Actually, it's the reverse, Anderson. There's actually not a room at the White House that's called a skiff. It's a secure briefing room that's big enough for 100 senators. We have that room here in the Senate, uh, here in the Capitol complex. Um, and they, in fact, had to do a special sweep of the, um, an auditorium over there in the old executive building in order to fit in the 100 senators. So it's the reverse. When, when President Trump came over from the West Wing, did he talk about specific policy on North Korea or was it more broad? It was very broad. He just gave opening remarks. He said that he uh, had developed a very good relationship uh, with, the, uh, with the president of China, and he was hoping that that would make a difference with North Korea. And he uh, also talked about, uh, you know, just escalating uh, in his rhetoric with North Korea. You know, when you mentioned the 100 days and that this, the, the getting you all over there might be part of that, how, how do you mean that this is sort of an effort for them to look like they're doing something? That's what it feels like to me, Anderson. I, if they really wanted to get something done, they should come to us and talk about a new authorization for use of military force. They should come to us and talk about exactly what their next steps are. But they didn't talk about any of that with, about North Korea or any other uh, military potential military action uh, in this briefing. Essentially, you're saying this was a photo op or basically just something else to put on a list of accomplishments in the first 100 days. Right. I guess they successfully accomplished putting 100 people on three buses and tying up traffic in Washington, D.C. to get us over there for a briefing. Do you think this White House cares too much about optics? Uh, you know, I wish that the White House would care more about actually getting something done instead of just coming out there with rhetoric and tweets. Uh, let's come up with some real policy uh, decisions and some proposals that can actually move forward. I've been speaking a long time about the need for real infrastructure investments. Let's talk about that. But I haven't seen any of that coming out of the White House. So what's striking there to me is the fact that on the way back from the White House on the buses, the senators were accompanied by the same people who briefed them at the old executive office building, which is next door to the White House. They accompanied them back and then briefed the House of Representatives. So why did they make the senators go down to the White House rather than just walk across the Capitol to the other side? Right. Brief the Senate, walk over to the House side, and brief the House. Mm -hmm. Absolute photo op. Right. Useless. Totally worthless. So what is the point to make it appear as though they are doing something super important? Yeah, I mean, it's going to make headlines. We're talking about it now. Responding in a way that appears as though they, they have a handle on the situation and they're gathering the troops. Yeah, and they're, they're taking responsible measures to mm -hmm. analyze the situation. Yeah. But if they're not presenting new information... Then what, what is the deal? Maybe it's just for the optics for North Korea to know that, hey, uh, they're moving people around over there. They're, they're, they're really starting to analyze shit. I don't know. Maybe a bluster. Hmm. I don't know. But it seems pretty fucking worthless to me. <laughs> and to her. Yeah, and to her. So the Russia thing clearly is not going away. We've talked about it at... A reasonable amount. 
I was going to say ad nauseum, but that's not the case because it needs to be talked about. We've learned in recent days that Mike Flynn, it looks like what he did was illegal. Even Jason Chaffetz believes it was illegal. And Elijah Cummings, who is the ranking member of the House Oversight Committee, alongside of Jason Chaffetz, he wants to know why the White House is covering up for Flynn. Earlier this week, the White House refused, absolutely refused, to produce even a single document, not a single document, in response to the bipartisan document requests that I sent with our Republican chairman. Not one syllable. I watched Sean Spicer make all kinds of excuses and about how hard it would be to comply with our requests. Come on, man. Look, General Flynn served in his position for 24 days. So that excuse from the White House will not fly. I honestly do not understand why the White House is covering up for Michael Flynn. I don't get it. After the president fired him for lying. So the president fired him for lying about the communications with the Russian ambassador. They should be bending over backwards to help us. It does not make any sense, and it makes the American people think the White House has something to hide. That is exactly what it makes the American people think. Well, some of the American people. Yeah, not uh, not Dan's parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So here's the deal. is They're asking the White House, they're asking all these different organizations, the Defense Intelligence Agency being one of them, they want the paperwork. They want his background check application. They want any documentation relative to, and this isn't reporters asking the question. This is the committee. This is Congress. Investigative bodies asking this question. And the White House is refusing. They're just saying no. Yeah. Well, when questioned about it, and this is, normally I don't play clips this long. Normally, I try to keep clips at two and a half to three minutes. This clip's a little longer than that, but I want to give you a flavor for what the White House is doing relative to answering questions of reporters. <laughs> this is about half as long as the clip is, Yeah, but I didn't want to do that to you. Mm-hmm. This is Sean Spicer talking to two different reporters in succession. There's no editing. I didn't clip it. It's just one, one clip. Sean Spicer. And they're asking him... Why didn't hasn't the White House given over one phone records? And he's like, oh, too many. Yo, no way. Listen, anybody who gets a phone bill, it's easy. Here are the numbers they called. Oh, right. we don't want to show this number because that's top secret. We don't want to show that number that's that, that's top secret. Well, they don't have enough money for the printer ink it would take right. to print all of the phone yeah. records out. It, it's not <laughs> 10,000 pages. He was on the job for 24 fucking days. Yeah. But they won't even release the stuff during the transition period. Before it was actually top secret because it's he wasn't yet the national security advisor. Right. He was just an advisor to president-elect Trump. So listen to this and try not to freak out. With Australia. And with that, let's go. John Roberts. Sean, uh, does the White House believe that Lieutenant General Michael Flynn... Uh, broke any laws in filling out his standard form 86 disclosure? And and furthermore, why is the White House 
apparently stonewalling the Committee on Oversight and Government Reform on its request for some of the documents that should be in the White House's possession on Mr. Floyd. Uh, I will correct you on that. Um, the committee sent a form letter to several agencies, including the White House, asking to find those documents. The documents in question uh, the Department of Defense possessed and sent over to him. Uh, the documents that occurred before he worked here would be up to him to turn over. So my understanding is the committee has the documents that they were looking for. In the letter that Mark Short, and I know that SF-86 was referred to the DIA. And it wasn't just referred to him. That's where it's well, well, I know, but they were referred to the DIA for the SF-86, and apparently they have they have gained access to that document, but there are other documents that should be in the White House's possession that Mark Short in the letter to the committee said the White House can't provide because of sensitive nature. Also well, said that there were no documents that were available prior to the 20th. Right. Uh, but I also asked the question, does the White House believe that uh, Lieutenant General Flynn might have broken the law when he filled out SF-86? I, I don't. That, that would be a question for him. and. And, and a law enforcement agency, whether or not he filled I don't know what he filled out and what he did or did not do. That all happened. Uh, he filled that form out prior to coming here, and so it would be up to the committee and other authorities to look at that. I don't know. But with respect to the letter, they asked for three things. The SF-86, which you properly point out was in the possession of uh, the DIA. They, my understanding through reports is that they have obtained that. Um, then they asked for documents prior to January 20th. As you know through the Constitution, uh, we didn't assume uh, the White House until January 20th at noon, so we don't have the documents to assuming the White House. Uh, and then the third would be uh, they listed for every call and contact that he made, which is an extraordinary uh, number. That that that's that's a very un, un um, that's a very unwieldy request. So was it the sheer volume of it? Or was well, I mean, it's it's to say we want the National Security Advisor, whose job it is to talk with foreign counterparts on a daily basis, to document every call that he may or may not have made, uh, is not exactly a request that's able to be filled. But every document that they asked for, my understanding is that they've gotten. Is it your position that during the transition, the Trump transition has no custodial possession of any of these documents? Well, I would again, that, but that's that, that Lieutenant. I mean, that, that Flynn filled out as part of the process to become the president's national security advisor. I mean, no, no, be because the, there's, there's an arm's length relationship. No, no, because there's, right, thanks. There's two, there's two issues. He had an SF-86, which was a security clearance form, that was filled out during the Obama administration. He had a re-investigation uh, in 2016. That was done under the last administration. And again, those are, those are not um, documents that the White House would ever possess on any employee. They'll come from the requesting authority. Okay, so... Um, and so, in that case, again, remember, they sent out a form letter to, I think, five or six agencies requesting the same documents. The place where the documents that they had questioned did, did fulfill that request. Right, and I'm just trying to find out, from your perspective, is there no obligation, either the transition or the White House, to do anything more than you have done or has been done in this matter? Everything that the White House has been asked to do, we have made... Uh, that, that, the only documents that were made available to that were made available to them that they asked for were the ones that the Department of Defense had. And how about these calls made when he was working during the transition on behalf of a future President Trump? Aren't those things that you should have some either responsibility or obligation to provide if you can? Well, I think again, it's a question: is if you can. When you ask for every call, no, can. but I, I think that's a pretty. Um, there is, I mean, that to ask for every call or contact that a national security advisor made is a is pretty. Uh, 
uh, outlandish, if you will, to say that we want to have a list of everything. That that you know, but, there is no. But, but theoretically, but again, the, the those question, calls were made on behalf of the Trump transition, were they not? When? When, when he was in the. I mean, this. Look, this Major, time, he he did not. This we started this administration on January twentieth. All the information that they're talking about occurred prior to him being at the White House. Right, but it was so working for the transition. And okay, I'm then, saying, is there then, any then obligation you the, have? Not, not the White House. Everything that is, is being questioned occurred prior to January 20th. But you actually have the delivery of those documents? But you're acting as if you had no custodial or, or no, ethical the responsibility doc- of your own transition. That's all I'm trying no, to No, no, and, and I guess the question is, is that what... He was the, not the, making calls I, as a I, private citizen. He was making calls as a future national security I officer. understand that. And, and right now, to ask the White House to produce documents that were not in the possession of the White House is, is, un, is ridiculous. He is doing a terrible job of trying to cloud... The difference between once they were in the White House and the transition team. You're responsible for both of those times. Mm-hmm. And to say that a national security advisor made so many calls that we can't provide those records, even if he made 100 phone calls a day, that's 2,400 records. <laughs> that's not insurmountable. Remember, they were asking for 33,000 emails, (laughs) which also wasn't an unreasonable request. Well, you'd think that if you're going to try to lie or cover up, you would find a better excuse, right? Yes. You'd find a a better way to go about doing that. Well, so here's what when they ask, well, you know, what about when he was national security advisor? Well, look, that's too much. Oh, my God. Those phone calls. That's just crazy time. Okay, well, what about in the transition period? Well, you you know, when we hired him, we don't have that documentation. That was during the Obama administration because we hadn't taken office yet. What? What are you talking about? So all this stonewalling is only going to make things worse for them because eventually the details will come out. Eventually the documents will be released because the fire will be turned up to 10. So... They're just delaying the inevitable here. Anyway, let's get uh, two other points here. And this isn't about uh, the Dolomocracy segment. This is about Bill O'Reilly and Fox News. The good old Fox News. Bill O'Reilly took to the airwaves via podcast the other day. Yesterday, I believe it was. And he, again, he's trying to play the victim. He took, he read an email from a listener on BillOReilly.com and made a weird statement about how people are trying to kill him. All right, Chris uh, in Tracy, California, finished reading Killing the Rising Sun. And I really liked the way you wrapped it up, Bill. The last bit about your father caught me off guard, but it was a really nice twist. You know, I, I wrote about my dad. Uh, he died... Um, you know, in the 1980s, and he was a naval officer because um, he was on his way to Japan and would have been killed in the invasion had the atom bombs not been dropped. So I wouldn't be here. And a lot of people are trying to kill me right now, as you know, um, but we're going to tough that one out. What? <laughs> well, because first of all, either he's being serious yeah. About people trying to kill him mm-hmm. or 
were not maybe to believe that his father would really literally have been killed in in battle. Yeah. Well, I, I think this just is representative of just how sad Bill O'Reilly feels to no longer be on TV. Oh, yeah. He, he thinks that people are trying to kill him. <laughs> you, you're fine. You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Everything is going to be okay, sir. Right. You have $25 million that you were paid. Yeah. To leave your job. Yeah, yeah. And you still have your following. They love you. Yeah. They're going to listen and pay for your podcasts. You're going to have it be the first 10 minutes or whatever are going to be free for the next week. But then the whole podcast only for paid subscribers. Listen, even if you're going to be fine, even if he only has 250,000 listeners an episode and they're paying him, I think the 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 Bill O'Reilly dot com premium membership is like five bucks a month. You get a free book. So even if even if pays for itself, that's the deal. He's going to be making about a million and a quarter a year. Not a lot of overhead when you just run a shitty little website and talk to a microphone. Yeah. There, there's not a lot of overhead here. I mean, I don't know if we're one to call his website a shitty little website. With our website. We do have a shitty little website. <laughs> but. Hey, Brittany, not a lot of overhead with our shitty little website. Yes. Okay. <laughs> It's weird to hear him talk like this and make himself the victim. Yeah. It makes me wonder, it would be so interesting to have an open conversation with him where there were no consequences and he could just be honest, because I would love to get in his head. I thought you meant no consequences for you, like a little uh, little, um, little loofah, little loofah no. treatment. No, 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 no. <laughs> that would be a consequence. For me. Yes. <laughs> that would be a punishment. Get a little, what did I do to deserve get that? Get a little Bill O'Reilly jizz on you. Okay. Yikes. What? <laughs> it's only so you could do that. There's no other reason that you said that. Yeah. I'm horrified. So. So am I. $25 million. You think I like making that noise, Brittany Page? $25 million. Yeah. He's going to be fine. That's a golden jizz-covered parachute right there. It's... A pretty good amount. Can we talk about his protege? Of money. Can we talk about his protege? So Jesse Waters. Yikes. He's the guy who would always do the segments at the end of the O'Reilly Factor. Waters World. Waters World, where he would go and interview women on spring break. And do like racist Chinese old people imitations and shit. Yeah, he's not good. So (laughs) he was on The Five, I think. I think he yeah. has his own show, but he was on the five. He's he's like running the five. He's like the he's like where Eric Bowling used to be. Oh, okay. Now he's running the five, apparently. Yeah. And he made a joke about Ivanka. Now remember last time on the show, yes. I made a joke about the breathy voice that she was using, the sensual way We're with which hear she it was again. speaking. We're gonna hear it again. We're gonna hear the show again? Ivanka again. Oh, okay. Well you'll see. And Jesse Waters makes a joke about the voice combined with the microphone. Been a tremendous champion of, of supporting families and enabling them to thrive in the new reality of... You, you, you hear the, the reaction from, from, from the audience. I've certainly heard the criticism from the media, and um, that's yeah. been perpetuated. But I know from personal experience, and I think the thousands of women who have worked 
with and for my father for decades when he was in the private sector are a testament to his belief and solid conviction in the potential of women and, um, and their ability to, to do the job as well as any man. Okay, so this was obviously a controversial thing today. She went to go speak, Jesse, and then, you know, drew the hisses and the jeers when she was trying to talk about her father's commitment to women and to children and to families. Yeah, it's funny, you know, the left says they really respect women, and then when given an opportunity to respect a woman like that, they boo and hiss. And I always thought the Europeans were supposed to be so sophisticated and well-mannered, and now they're treating this like it's a soccer match. I don't understand what's going on. I think Ivanka is supposed to be the moderating voice for her father. So I think people in Europe should support that. I don't know why also saying that, you know, my father respects families is controversial. I mean, he's probably hired a ton of fathers and mothers and and children. So I don't really get what's going on here. But uh, I really liked how she was speaking into that microphone. Dana, what do you what do you make? So no one commented on that. It's possible that they stopped listening because, frankly, that was boring. And he said a lot of nothing. But right. He equated the microphone to being a penis, right? Well, he also, you'd have to watch I mean, the that's clip. the implication. The, the other part of it is watching it. So you see that he puts his hand up to his mouth as though he was going to insert a cock into it. <laughs> Excuse me. A penis. Yeah. For those more sensitive listeners. Yeah. So he has, he went on vacation. <laughs> that's the other thing. A yeah. super planned it's been planned for a real long time. They put another survey up on Fox News. Guess how long Jesse Waters' vacation has ah, been planned. We know you know where he's going to go. Yeah. Little, little BillOReilly.com poll. Yeah, so <laughs> so he's on vacation with so, his family. Here's, here's what I want to talk about. Is Listen to this logic. Listen to this. The, uh, uh, it's I've bookended the clip. Yeah, it's funny, you know, the left says they really respect women, and then when given an opportunity to respect a woman like that, they boo and hiss. Ah, the left. They say they respect women, but they don't really respect women. I don't really get what's going on here, but uh, I really liked how she was speaking into that microphone. Yeah. (laughs) Listen to him really respecting Ivanka Trump. Well, please, even his logic about Donald Trump, where I'm sure he's hired women and fathers and mothers. Yeah, and then he talks about grabbing their pussies. Right. So, hmm. (laughs) Hmm. Eh, Just not really sure. Yeah. One more time. Yeah, it's funny. You know, the left says they really respect women, and then when given an opportunity to respect a woman like that, they boo and hiss. I don't really get what's going on here, but uh, I really liked how she was speaking into that microphone. Ugh. Really, I mean, an example of wild hypocrisy rarely presents itself like this. And this guy's being promoted into uh, more prominent positions at Fox News. It's all the fuck we need. (laughs) My favorite. Um, On Twitter, this is how he explained it. Are you ready for his explanation? Oh, my God. On air, I was referring to Ivanka's voice and how it resonates like a smooth jazz radio DJ. This was in no way a joke about anything else. I don't really get what's going on here, but uh, I really liked how she was speaking into that microphone. So we're all idiots. Is that what we are? If he's talking about her voice, why did he put his hand up to his mouth like he was going to insert a penis well, he also, into it? I like the way she was talking into that microphone. It wasn't, I liked the way she was talking. Her voice sounded really smooth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Wow, what a what a smooth jazz DJ voice, everybody. Yeah. No. Wow, she looked like she was getting ready to suck a dick. She really knows how to handle that microphone, which is shaped like something else, everybody. <laughs> That's what I heard. That's what he said, right? It was a black microphone, so we're lucky it didn't like take a racial turn. Yeah, who knows? But he's on vacation, so <laughs> we'll see what ends up happening to him. Taking care of biz. So, we're still deciding who's going to be taking care of biz right now. But I want to use my person first. All right, no, we'll save. I'll save Jake Tapper till next time. Okay. Jay Tap's always taking care of biz. He doesn't. Yeah, need it. yeah. So I follow this page on Facebook. It's called A Mighty Girl. And sure it's not food, babe. It's definitely not food, babe. How dare you? So I saw this post and it's by Casey Edwards and it said how to talk to your daughter about weight. And this was really powerful for me because I work as a teacher, basically, for kids um, in third to 10th grade. And so I'm around young girls all day. And I have known these kids for almost a year now. And I get to hear about their day at school and I ask them what's going on at home and I get to hear stories about their lives and I get to know or be reminded of the struggles that that I once had too when I was when I was young. Oh, yeah, sure. But there was something that happened at work and another teacher, we pass out candy to reward the kids for doing a good job. So there was candy going around. I think that's called a bribe, Brittany Page. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And there was candy going around and one of the older girls went to grab a piece of candy. And one of the teachers said to her, aren't you on a diet? One of the female teachers. And I sat there and had to resist immediately acting and saying something in front of everybody. Because this happened in front of boys that were this girl's age. Um, other young girls so I waited until the end of our shift and I approached this teacher and I said, hey, I, I think that maybe we want to avoid saying things like that um, to kids. And she said, well, you know, this, this student had told me that she's on a diet. And I said, okay, I understand. Oh, wow. Even worse. Yeah, I understand that she may have felt comfortable telling you this and maybe sharing her body struggles with you. And that's great that she felt comfortable doing that. But what happened in that moment was a reinforcement of the idea that she needs to be on a diet. Yeah, wow. Wait a minute. Are you, are you sure you want that candy? You should you should take a step back and really think about whether or not you want that. Yeah, that's exactly what because happened. you told me. Remember, you're struggling, you know, and, and in front of everyone. Yeah, and it just really it struck me. I'm surprised your the reaction wasn't. Oh, I should talk to her and not punch her right in the fucking throat. This is an adult. That's damaging to a kid. I really struggled with it. I had a yeah. hard time. I was pretty emotional about it, but I, I felt that it was better to approach it in a very metered way because yeah, <laughs> that would be, in kids would probably be bad. Well, too. this would be most useful, right? <laughs> but I'm very sensitive to this because there have been times where I'm, I'm at work and one of the kids has said to me, um, you have such long skinny legs. And I said, yep, I do. That's a fact. Uh, just 
what happens? You know, those are my legs. I'm, yeah, I'm careful not to say, oh, thank you so much for right. complimenting oh, yeah. me. Yeah, that's a great on point. On my skinny legs, you know. Um, no, why, that's a great point. That that if you were to say thank you, right, you would receive it as a compliment right. and not just a random observation, right? And that means it's something that someone should aspire to, yeah, or sure. something, yeah, right. And I don't want to ever be someone who reinforces this because my mom growing up, and this is kind of getting back to what what was written here in this "How to Talk to Your Daughter About Weight" by Casey Edwards. She said that her mom spent her whole life believing that she was fat. Her mom believed that that she was fat. Her mom believed she was fat. Right. <laughs> the mom believed better. the mom was fat. The mom believed the mom was fat. Yeah. And she grew up witnessing her mom's body hatred. And her mom tried to raise her to be very conscious of her own weight hmm. in order to help her not hate her body when she became an adult. But this backfired, right? Because right. there was so much focus on the body that it ended up just making her focused on it more than she needed to be. Well, you got to mirror that behavior. That's right. how mom acts. That must be how all moms act. Right. That must be how all women act. Right. I should act like that. Yeah. And so this woman, Casey Edwards, wrote, quote, when you're taught that your body weight is central to your worth and happiness and that snacking on anything other than celery sticks is shameful, developing body insecurity is almost inevitable, regardless of your BMI. I have interviewed women with supermodel physiques who loathe their bodies and are obsessed with losing weight. And I know of women with bigger bodies than me who haven't shred, who haven't a shred of body hatred. So I think that it's important because this kind of stuff starts with older role models, right? If young girls see their mom speaking about their body in a way, hating their own body, then those young girls are going to receive that message and feel that they need to be critical of their body. Sure, yeah. If they see a teacher doing it, if they see an older sister doing it, if they see an older friend of their parents, whoever it might be, it's just not good for kids. It implants that. Yeah, and they're already struggling. It's hard to be that age and be in school and be with boys and they're mean to you and already making comments about you. You don't need to have that stuff reinforced by an adult. Yeah, because it just solidifies it. Yeah. Sure. So anyway, I thought this was an important thing to address. What's her name? Casey Edwards. Casey Edwards. How to talk to your daughter about weight. Mighty girl. How to talk to your daughter about weight. The Facebook page is a mighty girl. they shared it. And that's a great Facebook page. It it has a lot of great stuff, um, female empowerment type stuff. But Casey Edwards, how to talk to your daughter about weight. Yes. Awesome. Taking care of biz. Taking care of biz. All right. Well, we love you guys. We appreciate you. We're going to leave you there. Hashtag third episode. This week was kind of emblematic of what it could be like if we had the kind of support we're looking for and goaling toward on Patreon and PayPal. We love you guys. We appreciate you. If you appreciate us, and you know, like Brittany said last time, think about that. What do we mean to you? It's not a guilt trip. It is, listen, if we, if we provide a little bit, then um, if you're in a position to do so, we would love for you to partner with us helping us move the conversation forward episode by episode and bonus episode by bonus episode. It's awesome. We think we're on the on the verge of something great here and we want to bring you guys along with us. We appreciate it. We will see you next time. And until then, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore. This has been I Doubt It. Doubt It.